1: You see, the people come into your cave with a 200-year-old carpet. The guy tears your ticket in half. It's too late to turn back now. The water fountain's all booby-trapped and ready. A stuff laid out on the candy counter. Then you come over here to where it's dark. It could be anything in there. And you say, Here I am. What have you got for me? Hey, it's Josh Olson, and you're listening to Pandemic Parade 4, The Crackdown. Uh, This is our fourth special episode of The Movies That Made Me. We've been going around talking to some of our previous guests and asking them to give us uh, lists of the movies they've been watching to get through this quarantine. Um, We think you'll find a little bit of something for everybody here. We've got some great ones this week, including the return of Blair Bercy from the Hollywood Food Coalition who's going to tell you once again why you should send them some money and help them out. They're doing great work. So let's get on with it. Pandemic Parade 4, The Crackdown. But first, a word from our sponsors.
2: Once this picture sinks its fangs into you, you will never be the same. Don't say it. Hiss it. Plus another spine-chilling hit, The Boy Who Cried Werewolf. Rated PG.
1: First up, we're going to check in with a couple of my favorite filmmakers, John Sales and Maggie
3: Renzi. I have a, a, a mask over my keyboard to protect from computer viruses. <laughs> you guys are safe.
1: I, I, John, that's that's not actually how it works, but uh, oh,
3: you can't be too careful.
1: God bless you. <laughs> um, but Joe, Joe, yeah, we're going to do John and Maggie. Uh, back oh, great, back, so yeah, double doubleheader.
3: And we probably watch one out of three movies together. So since it bifurcates that much, we're going to do it separately. Okay. Yes. You know, um, every once in a we, what did we watch um, last night? We watched Key Largo. Oh. Which it took Maggie about two-thirds of the movie to realize, you know, I've never seen this before. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, part of it's to have and to have not, and, you know, there's there's so many other movies that are right. kind of cobbled together in it that's yeah. very, very familiar, you
4: know, Yeah, you know, yeah. Seen. And then when you add the cast, who you've seen in all those other movies.
3: And they're playing yeah. the same parts they always right. play. You know, even Jay Silverheels is basically, you know, if if you ever met a real Seminole Indian in Florida, they have Southern accents. They don't sound like Tonto. Right. You know? <laughs> and I remember seeing the movie the first time, he's, like, he's not a Seminole. You know, he's Tonto. That's crazy.
4: His agent told him it was a Seminole part.
3: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, so, um, um, what I'm going to do for you guys, I'm going to give you five foreign language movies, and then for the um, the wimps who don't read subtitles, I'll give you five American movies.
1: <laughs> oh my god! Um, okay, John's in- gonna be. By the way, special. I don't know if you know this, John. Your um, uh, your quote-unquote normal episode of our show dropped dropped today. You are oh, good.
3: our seventy-fifth okay, guest. Uh, I'll tell all my shut-in friends, which I have many, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and search it out. Um, you know, uh, in Mexico, for a lo- until very recently, um, it was against the law to um, show a movie that was dubbed. Really? Only cartoons could be dubbed. They thought that they would protect their film industry mm. because so many of their people were not literate. hmm um, and, and the rest of them were like Americans. They don't like to read subtitles. Uh-huh. And so you, you either had to subtitle the movie unless it was animation or that was it. Um, yeah. but they realized it didn't work because so many American blockbusters who needs the dialogue, <laughs> Right, <laughs> it's just a lot of shit blowing up, you know, and you know, you can understand what's going on. Yeah. Think of a sure. Schwarzenegger movie. Um, uh, anyway, I'm going to start. Um, here are the five foreign, foreign movies. De eso no se habla, which uh, a good translation of the title is, we don't talk about this. This is a movie, Argentinian movie, directed by Maria Luisa Bemberg. who's was a wonderful director who died very young of cancer. Uh, she did a movie called Camila and Yo Peor de Todos, I Worst of All, wonderful director. Um, and this is just a great performance by Marcello Mastriani. Mm-hmm. It's based on a short story that's very much like a Marquez short story, um, even though it wasn't written by Marquez. And it's about a small town in Argentina where the most powerful person in, in the town is this woman who lives in a big mansion, and she's so powerful and everybody's afraid of her. So when her daughter is born is a dwarf, she just says, we're not going to talk about this. I'm going to raise my daughter and she's not going to know that she's unusual mm. and you better, you know, stick to the letter of the law here to the point where when her daughter wants to, has seen pictures and books of people riding horses, she gets her a breed of horse that doesn't grow large. And then anybody else in the town is forbidden to ride a normal sized horse <laughs> near their house. <laughs> and, and Marcello Mastroianni is one of my favorite actors. is just, terrific in it. Um, the next one is Wages of Fear, which is uh, oh, yeah. George Clouseau. And there's a couple of things that are, besides it, it's just a great movie. Um, Clouseau was a guy who, he was just getting into the film business, actually working in Germany just before World War II. He got kicked out of that film industry because he was too friendly with Jewish producers. And then he made a couple fairly popular movies under the Nazis in France, including Le Corbeau, which is a wonderful movie that was just too tough and cynical for everybody. So the left wing hated it. The Nazis hated it. And he he got fired. And then because he had made these movies under the Nazis, he was forbidden for life in a trial to work in French movies. And then he got so much support from other French filmmakers that they said, okay, for two years, he can't make a movie. Mm. And then, you know, one of his first movies, you know, coming out of that was Wages of Fear. This has very young Yves Montand when he was first, you know, he'd been a singing star. It was kind of like Frank Sinatra, you know, turning into a movie actor after having been the singing star. Um, it's very, very good. And, and a, a wonderful uh, French actor named Charles Vanel, who plays kind of a, a gangster who... Ends up kind of crapping out and turning out to be a coward in it, which for the French audience would have been like Charles Bronson turning out to be a coward at the end of it. Yeah. He was so established in there. And it was a big deal. His career had been on the outs for a while. And for him to take that part was an enormous deal. And then Vera Clouseau, who was um, Clouseau's wife, and she was not a great actress. She was, you know, his wife and this um, Brazilian actress. Um, and the funny thing about her is that she inspired partly his movie Diabolique, and she plays the character in it who is scared to death because she has a, a heart condition. Mm-hmm. She actually did have a heart condition. And Clouseau was so rough in directing her in the few movies that she was in, she did have a heart, act, heart attack and died <laughs> in her 40s. And, you know, he was always blamed by friends of theirs for having driven her, <laughs> her grave. Jesus. I did um, not know that. The next one is Redbeard, uh, Akira Kurosawa movie, which is my favorite um, Toshirô um performance. Um, it's set in about 1860s, and he plays a country doctor. And there's this young, you know, wet behind the ears doctor who's he's teaching the ropes, and he's kind of crusty, you know, you know, but uh, you know, heart of gold uh, doctor, and. One of the great things, it's a very long movie, but it really pays off, very emotional. And there's a great thing, which is at some point, Kurosawa must have realized, well, people are used to seeing Akira Kurosawa in all these samurai movies where he kicks ass. So in the middle of this movie that's basically about a country doctor, um, he, he's kind of taken this, this young girl who's being abused in various ways at, at the local horror house under his wing, and these thugs who work for the the woman who run the, the whorehouse show up to to kidnap her back, and the doctor Mufune gets to go out and basically using judo just kick ass, and he he breaks every bone in their bodies, and then he walks around with a young you know wannabe doctor saying, oh look at this, that's a compound fracture. This is a terrible thing. The <laughs> bones are like sticking out of the flesh. Um, you know, so there's a great action sequence right in the middle of this movie, terrific movie. Uh, and Takashi Shimura, who was also in Seven Samurai and Ikiru, a bunch of his other movies, is in it. Another, you know, kind of world class actor. Um, the next one is uh, Generale del Rovere, which is my favorite Roberto Rossellini movie, and it was probably his least favorite. And every reason why I I love it is why he didn't like it. He's kind oh, of interesting. A, he's kind of a Calvinist filmmaker. And finally, I think he he thought, oh, this is just too too accessible. This is too mm. emotional. This is this is like cheating. Um, and the, you know, it's set in World War II, and the lead character is this you know totally degenerate guy who's basically ripping off people, saying that he's going to get them documentation that they're not Jewish, so that they won't get caught up in the Holocaust. And he's ripping them off. It's a terrible guy, played by Defor- De- Vittorio De Sica, who's so charming that you realize he's be a great con man. And he, he injects so much emotion into it. And, and Rossellini asked him to do it because De Sica was a, a degenerate gambler. He was always broke, even though he was a very popular actor and director, because he was a degenerate gambler and was always losing all his money. And he plays basically a degenerate gambler in this and injects it with so much humanity that it turns out being a a great movie, basically about a heel developing, a really bad heel developing a backbone. Uh, The next one's also Italian, Gold of Naples, which is an anthology movie. Um, And I think there's six parts to it. And, And it's directed by Vittorio De Sica. And it's one of those rare anthology movies where every part is good. Has oh. um, wonderful actors, Silvana Mangano, who was in Bitter Rice, Sophia Loren does one, Eduardo Di Filippo, Toto, and Vittorio De Sica acts in his own movie in a wonderful one about a degenerate gambler, a count <laughs> whose wife actually holds the purse string. So he's been put on, on this austerity thing where he can only gamble in his own apartment building with his 10-year-old kid who just kills him every time they play cards, but he's only allowed to play for like 20 lira at a town, which is like five five cents or something like that. Terrific movie. Mm. Um, then the American movies. Now the American ones, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Pick Up on South Street, which is oh, my, my favorite Lord. Sam Fuller movie. Yeah, Um yes, Got yes, by yes. Joe McDonald, who's just a wonderful, he was good in black and white and color, but he was a great black and white DP. Um, Richard Widmark, who plays a wonderful heel, always good at being a, a bad guy. Gene Peters, who's very good in it, who uh, Sam Fuller was getting all these people thrown at him by the studio who really weren't appropriate for the part. He wasn't crazy about Gene Peters. And then he saw her walk into the commissary and he noticed that she was bowlegged and he decided, <laughs> you know, most of the prostitutes that I know are bowlegged. <laughs> I'm going to give her a reading. And he read her on a Friday and started shooting with her on a Monday.
5: Oh, wow. um,
3: uh, and then Thelma Ritter. Thelma Ritter. Yeah. He actually won an Academy award, one of the best supporting actors ever. And, and she's just terrific in this. And of course he had a lot of problem with the production code and had to to rewrite and reshoot a couple things, and it's still amazing how much he got through under yeah. their noses. Um, he and the uh, Zanuck had to have lunch with J. Edgar Hoover after this movie, and J. Edgar Hoover had to ball them out for what a terrible movie this was because it was so anti-American. And then yeah, that's... listened to the whole thing and said. Yeah, Jay Edgar, but you don't any own, know anything about the movie business, and a <laughs> so he kind of yeah. That's
1: got the, the greatest of the um, uh, woodmarks. They're they're trying to grill him, and uh, the great line: uh, "Don't don't wave that flag at me." Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Which was Jay Edgar's? You know, as if even pickpockets <laughs> should you know have the the flag tattooed on their chest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next one is kind of an off one, which is Yellow Sky, which is a a Western um, directed by William Weldman. Joe McDonald is the the DP again. Joe McDonald, he shot uh, My Darling Clementine for John Ford. He shot uh, Viva Zapata and Panic in the Streets for Ilya Kazan. Just a terrific DP. And and this has some of the best black and white night photography Mm -hmm. um, you'll ever see. Uh, Gregory Peck. One of his, you know, he he every once in a while would play a bad guy. And he plays kind of a bad guy with a a streak of goodness in him, but he's actually pretty good in this one. Uh Richard Widmark is playing another heel in it. Um John Russell and and uh Harry Morgan are in it, and Baxter with one of those 50s bras that will put your eye out if you you know <laughs> the wrong type. Um and it was all shot up at at Lone Pine on a a ghost town set that the production people made from basically finding an old Tom Mix Western set that hadn't been used in a while and trashing it even more than the weather had trashed it for 20 years since it had been used. Um, Really terrific movie with one caveat is that it has an epilogue that's a total sellout. So, you know, it's basically a movie where there's a shootout it, you know, and you're outside of the building for the very end of the shootout. And then you should just turn the movie off. Because the <laughs> log is is like a total sellout. It's um, good
1: to know those things going in though. If you can actually fix a movie by turning it off five minutes before it's so over. So
3: my director's cut of the movie doesn't have the last three minutes of the movie in it. <laughs> uh, the next one, um speaking of heels, is eight in the Hole, Billy Wilder's uh. movie. Um Kirk Douglas was basically Hollywood's best heel. um, And his son has kind of taken over the mantle. You know, Michael Douglas is willing to and does play a really good heel. You know, Gordon Gecko is probably, you know, something that his father would have played, um, you know, 40 years earlier. Uh, It's got some nice character actors like Ray Teal and G. Evans in it. Um, And it's got Jan Sterling playing this Blonde bimbo with a a heart the size of a pea, um, and she, she was rarely good at that. I actually saw a movie recently called Woman's Prison, in which both Jan Sterling and Audrey, Audrey Totter were in it, which is like overkill because they both you know they never got hired at the same time because it was always for the same part. Cherie North used to get those parts later on, <laughs> right. um, but it, it's one of those movies that that kind of totally encapsulates my personal feelings about the press and, and was considered, you know, very much like Le Corbeau, way too cynical at the time. And the times have kind of caught up with it. And people are oh, like, yeah. oh, that's, that's no cynical. You know, so <laughs> you look at, you know, the press today and look at, you know, reality TV and that guy would, he'd have his own show today.
4: <laughs> uh, or be president.
3: Yeah, Arsh, Yeah. And then... You know, leaping into the '80s, um, "True Love" by Nancy Savoca—just a movie that hasn't been seen enough. Oh, yeah, uh, I thought that film. Annabelle first movie, yeah. um, and it's it's kind of um, about Italian American tribal rights. It's kind of about all the people I grew up on. You know, is it? It's very much "Main um, Streets Without the Slaughter." Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, has my favorite poster of the 80s, which is um, Annabella Sciorra in her wedding dress, sitting on a toilet with her mascara running down her cheeks from tears. Uh, and then finally, and this is one that you shouldn't watch on your computer or on your phone, Close Encounters of the Third Time. I, I got to see this a couple of years ago. They, they, they did a little like one week, week um, you know. Uh, run of it in theaters. And I saw it in a wonderful giant theater with a wonderful sound system. I think just a good flat screen TV will be good. And this is Steven Spielberg. And what I think is striking about this one is usually think of Steven with, with his mastery of camera moves and special effects. Doug Trumbull, you know, supervises special effects in this. And all of those are there, but the acting in this is just so good. Um, Richard Dreyfus, Terry Garr, Melinda Dillon, really just terrific. Um, and, the, you know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of The Abyss, um, which all the sci-fi kind of stuff and the action stuff about The Abyss are, are good. But um, the act yes. that, that, you know, um, the leads do in The Abyss, Mary, you know, Elizabeth Antonio and Ed Harris, it's just a great family story.
5: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: you know, and Terry Gar is, is my favorite kind of role of hers. She just wants to have a normal life and a normal family. And and all of a sudden, her normal husband, you know, who works for the, the telephone company, uh, he gets obsessed. You know, and it could have been drugs. It could have been gambling. He could have decided he wanted to be a, a filmmaker. But what's clear is life is never going to be the same. You know, he's just so obsessed by this thing. It's not another woman until kind of it is because Melinda Dillon's character is going through the same thing that he is. And, but he and, leaves and, her, too. Yeah. And, and he ditches her, too. You know, um, and Vilma uh, Zygmunt shot it. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. But yeah. um, hey, Mag, you're on. Come on.
4: <laughs> which uh, which <laughs> version of the picture were they running?
3: Ah, uh, they were running the one without the the extras put on, so you don't go inside oh, the good. ship.
4: Good, that was a
3: big mistake. Which um, yeah. but, but yeah, I think, you know, for for the Richard Dreyfus character, why go into the ship? Ship. Yeah, it's yeah. all about he wants to know. Mm-hmm. That's where his character is left, and where it should be left. We want yeah. to know too. Yeah. yeah, that's a sequel. If you want to make the sequel,
4: well, um, Columbia we'll Pictures wanted to go into the ship.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're going to go into the ship, I think you have to go all the way to the anal probe, which you know, Spielberg <laughs> must have shot, but he didn't want to show. So here's Maggie.
4: Oh, thank you, John.
6: <laughs> Hi, you guys. Hello. Oh, nice to see you both. And How can, are
4: you? We're seeable, except for yeah. people who are listening.
6: How are you doing? I'm, I, you know, I'm good. I'm good. If I, I live in a bubble, you know, safely yeah. with somebody I love and it makes such a huge difference. Right. Cause that's yeah. outside is howling.
1: I, I keep howling wondering if we're sort of at the early stage now where I, I really do. I'm concerned for people who live alone. Um, but I think we're, you know, Cut to two months from now, I think people who live alone may start being concerned for those of us who live with someone else.
6: There's that. Uh, we we heard <laughs> that after that first cruise ship arrived in uh, in China, eighty two couples filed for divorce.
5: Yeah, uh,
6: you know, So Jeez. yeah, but you know, the hard thing, of course, is women at home with somebody they shouldn't be at home with, and that's the part that makes me, you know, freak out sometimes. And then New York is very close, and we know people who are sick. Yeah. So, uh, you know, more kind of like the brother of, the sister of, the, uh, but, you know, and it, 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 it's a weird time that you're at right now because it's sort of a drum roll. Yeah. Which is why we yeah. watch movies and, in my case, TV shows, which John is, doesn't like to talk about so much because he doesn't <laughs> do what I do, you know? One reason we've lived together for so long, I'm sure, is that we have figured out how to not be together every single hour of the day, mm. I think something that you both understand. And so I have my private time. I never thought I would like to watch shows on my laptop, but I like it. I've discovered it's a little bit like, um, like eating ice cream out of the box, you know, <laughs> time, right? Which you would really rather do by yourself. Thank you very much. With no one looking. Yeah. And you don't want anybody's permission if you decide to start the second one and quit halfway through or, right. or you know, watch four in a row or like that. So, I have mine of those but i also have this other thing which i was thinking today is like our own alamo draft house which is so i'm downstairs and there's upstairs this is a little tiny house where we live in the winter time and um and i say to john you know we discuss what we're having for dinner and then uh, i tell him i want to watch a show and so he is my curator and it is absolutely errant you know i mean as you know he's mr know-it-all There's some things that I really do want to see and some things that I really don't want to see. And I don't know that always in the beginning and sometimes I wander off and take a bath. But the things that we watched this week made a funny telling, I think. We watched The China Syndrome, which Mm. has its merits after all these years. And then there's this really weird thing about it. Did James Bridges understand how completely sexist the treatment of the Jane Fonda character was like Bombshell.
4: I would think so. I mean, isn't she being t- sent off to do stories about tiger tiger cubs yeah, and stuff? I mean,
6: yeah. it's quite. In which case, it's quite a modern take. And why the fuck has it taken us so long to have Bombshell? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's an old movie, and and it, it's it's a very interesting character. And then Michael Douglas is such a larrikin. You know, he's such a you know like a film film joke about, you know, movie business joke about a cameraman, you know, and it was more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Mr. Blanding's builds his dream house, his dream house. I was trying to explain to some young people who were looking for a funny movie and I think what they, what I eventually wrote back and said is, you should see some Tom Hanks movies, and those will make you happy and <laughs> big and Splash and you know, and those will make you happy. The Burbs. Uh, um, yeah, I guess so. I didn't care about The Burbs, but Splash and Big, I really remember. No, it's you know, it's a matter comedy is. I mean, it's really a matter of taste. Mr. Blandings, I just I because we've been so obsessed about New York, seeing New York and the New York City that they leave from to go live in the country. I always love those old looks at New York where, you know, you can park your car anywhere. You've seen some pictures of New York lately. You could definitely yeah. park your car. Anywhere. And also it has Myrtle Loy in it. And I just love her. Um, we watched Long Strange Trip, the the um, Grateful Dead documentary. Mm-hmm.
1: If- oh, yeah. Somebody else brought that up. Yes. Whoa.
6: That editor, there are a few of them, I think, understands... Um, tripping understands that state of mind so well that I, I'm always trying to explain it to John who's never had the experience himself and yet he often has written about it um, and I said to him this is the one that really I think is the truest about what it is and plus you could dance to it he kept saying sit down <laughs> <laughs> Not an answer. so that was fun to see and um, I think he just told you we just saw Key Largo yeah um, Claire Trevor. It's such a beautiful character. And I think for, especially for people who, like me, came to understanding about acting from the theater, it is such a beautiful, perfect theatrical performance in a movie, which is obviously must be, right? From a play. I mean, certainly feels like a play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One yeah. Woman. yeah. I, I, I loved her. She, 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 she embodies this beaten character, this, and I've been thinking a lot about women who are at home with the wrong man. And um, and she'll just take everything from Edward G. Robinson. And then that moment where she uses that against him and steals the gun was something that made me feel triumphant. Because I realize I have been thinking also a lot about. Um, I'm listening to uh, Hilary Mantel, the the third one of the Wolf Hall. Uh, this is the, the Henry mm. series. Yeah, yeah, While hooking a rug, so I'm living in the 16th century for much of the time, hooking a rug, <laughs> and in that, of course, women are absolutely disposable commodities. Right. And um, and I was thinking that uh, he 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 says, um, "What is a woman's life?" is what Cromwell says, because he's just disposed of them, you know, one time after another. Which all is about that. I finally got to see this documentary that I'd heard about for a while on one of the streaming services called Women in Power which uh, is about the history of uh, the right to vote for women in England. And Mm. it's got all these characters that I've never heard of before, you know, beyond the pankers, really nobody that I know. And this super pissed off um, presenter, her name is Amanda Vickery. She's, I think, quite a serious historian. She also goes around in these foxy clothes that make her look a little preposterous sometimes. But man, you realize she is pissed off. She looks at these pictures like of all the men in the parliament at any stage in this. And she just says, men, men, men. You know, it's all she sees is men, men, men. And then I, I have loved Babylon Berlin, which I, mm-hmm. if you got hooked on that, except explain to me who that crazy guy is down in the sewers, who is or is not maybe Garyon's brother back from the war, who is what, the national nationalist psychologist? that whole thing I don't understand uh, that at all. But I love, love, love Charlotta so much. Of course, Garion is very cute. And Charlotta just kept making me think, especially in the early series of um, of Nancy Drew, this completely like bent Nancy Drew, you know, <laughs> flucky. And she just jumps in and, and uh, you know, she's always got the right clothes on. And For somebody like me for whom it's it's about acting and production design those are the two things and lighting probably those are the things i love the most the wallpaper in babylon berlin (laughs) and the embroidery in babylon berlin is so diverting that even when uh there are things happening that freak me out which isn't such a great thing because these days you have to be able to go to bed with your in a calmer state that i have which is I haven't probably been sleeping as much as I should be. Um, but My Brilliant Friend, have you yeah. been watching My Brilliant Friend? We've been watching
4: it. We're up to the – in fact, we missed the first season, so we watched the whole first season. Now oh, we're yeah. in the second season, and and we and now we have the, the binge watcher's nightmare, which is that we've watched the whole show within a week, and now we have to wait every week for the <laughs> I new – Episode yeah. and it's it's but, it's it's the way that life used to be.
6: Exactly. But we're so
4: spoiled now to get exactly. this instant gratification that you know. Okay, well, it, 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 which wig is she wearing this week? You know, I mean, yeah. it's it, it's um it's it's a great show. Uh, the, the, I understand Elizabeth's read the, all the books, which I have not, uh, and she says there's a lot of compression uh, that's yeah. gone on, uh, but it's it's, so it's really a good show, and, and I highly recommend it.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you, and, and you watch the extras are worth seeing. Isn't your star for a bit more. Do watch uh-huh. the extras. Yeah. You have it. the great stuff about how the, the, uh the director gets these performances from this ensemble of mostly brand new actors. Mm-hmm. I, I, they stay with you, right. Uh, in the one of the last couple of episodes, Leela, she just, she just has one of those darting looks back at her friend, Linu, and I just, I, what was the subject of it? It was just like, watch me. Just watch me.
4: It's it's one of those shows where you're so invested in the characters that when the, when the opening titles come on and they have the shots of all the different characters, in most shows, they're kind of elusive. You go, well, yeah, I guess that guy was on like two seasons ago or something. But, but they, every single one of these characters is so well etched that you feel like you know them.
6: Yeah, yeah. Why can't we have more? This is some of why I, I love these series, I think, and why I love non-American television, because I think there's a time spent with characters that's you know. worth knowing and of course for me you know some of why I liked little women was I just like spending that much time with women uh, I or that very nice documentary by our friend Carol Deisinger called learning to skateboard uh, in a war zone mm-hmm. a, that's no, I don't know. one of the best um, documentary it's just girls 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 all the time and that is something I love to see and is it refreshes me, you know, it makes me, makes me feel better. So I made it. Have show.
1: you watched um, Maggie? I was wondering, my, my, uh, my sister, who is a midwife, which uh, yeah. well, she was, she's retired, um, was obsessed with um, call the midwife.
6: Yeah. I'd like it. You, yeah. Okay. Like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, liked it a lot.
4: I liked it a lot. Yeah. Elizabeth watches it too. In fact, it's back on. It's just, it's just come back on.
6: A new series or a new, new season.
4: Been-
1: a new season. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've done like eight of them.
6: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, there's nothing that makes me more. I don't know. You know, probably centered. It's about me. John talks about all these movies that he saw when he was little. You know, and for me, as I said to him, they're all the guns of Navarone. They were right. all. These, <laughs> if they were all these movies where there weren't any women that mattered in them, or there weren't any uh, women at all in them, or at all, yeah, yeah, and then and you know, that's I mean, what are you doing when you're a kid except trying to think about which one you would be and there right. was some part of me that i guess was so bound to my gender that i uh, i just dis- a lot i didn't dismiss a lot of those movies. So i made a pile of the ones that i'm going to watch and i'm going to rewatch Vera Drake, which i haven't seen for a while cuz we oh. have like you do a pile of videos in you know a room that we never go into. I'm going to watch Vera Drake, Winter's Bone, Crouching Tiger, and that series Unorthodox, which everybody tells me is really good. Oh,
1: i hear it's great. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's me. Wonderful. Oh,
6: that's Wonderful. a good bunch of stuff. Um, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Well, turned a few people onto some things, I hope.
6: Good. Um, hope so. Good. Well, yes. very nice to talk to you. You and too.
4: I, Thanks for yeah. both of you for doing this.
2: Come now and explore the possibility of the impossible. Centronics International presents a terrifying journey into the supernatural narrated by the master of slithering evil, Rod Serling. It is tradition Ghosts and ghouls and various other citizens of the grotesque wrap themselves in malevolent mists and deep darkness, disguised as all manner of things. This is a terrifying encounter with the unknown. A tale spun by devils. Encounter with the unknown.
1: We're joined now by Robert Kraskowski the writer-director of The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot, which coincidentally was also produced by John Sayles, or video, which none of you will see. Uh, I'm sitting in front of a bunch of movie posters, Joe's sitting in front of piles and piles of DVDs, and uh, Robert is sitting in front of a fully
4: stocked bar. <laughs>
7: <laughs> which I, I haven't actually been tapping into much during quarantine. I've had, really? Oh, no. good.
4: Every oh, don't other- worry you have plenty of time
7: oh yeah no all that's going to be gone at some point
1: <laughs> i was just reading something today about how americans are drinking more than they ever have and i have to say i've i've never you know at a time when we're all so isolated and cut off from each other it made me feel very much less alone
4: sure yeah <laughs> it's called self-medicating that's it yes yeah. yes yes <laughs> So what are you watching while you're yeah, what are you watching
1: while you're locked up?
4: Uh, I'll just name some of the stuff.
7: I mean, there's no coherent theme here. It's just stuff that I've been watching and enjoying. And uh, no, you
4: got to remember, have... this is our podcast. There is no coherent. Okay. All right. Right. Sounds, Sounds good. Cause that it's going to jump funny. all
7: over the place, but just, you know, some stuff that maybe will be a new discovery for some people or maybe they'll rediscover it. Or, uh, I mean, there's a lot of film buffs that listen to this, so I probably won't surprise anybody, but, um, yeah. I again talking to Richard Jurić uh a few weeks ago he recommended a movie that I absolutely loved called Lonely Are the Brave. Oh yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah. For, for it's his favorite movie of his. It is said.
7: Yeah. Oh is it? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that was just a a phenomenal movie. David Miller directed it. It's written by Dalton Trumbo. It has an absolutely gorgeous uh, Jerry Goldsmith score. Walter Walter Matthau's in it as the uh, sheriff that's chasing this. Hang on, my my screensaver came up. I I didn't control that. (laughs) Um, So yeah, he plays the sheriff that's chasing this. this cowboy that just, he's kind of, uh, he doesn't fit in and it's the modern era and he's chasing him up into the hills of New Mexico, uh, for trying to free his friend from jail for helping illegal immigrants get over the border. So, um, but it's a really quirky, funny, fun. And the the last 20 minutes, the tension is, is through the roof. I, I loved it. It was great.
1: Yeah, no, it's a terrific movie. Terrific film. Oh,
7: it's a good one. Yeah.
4: So
1: no, that's I don't mean that we're judging you. Uh,
4: we're... No, no, no. We, we we only judge you on the frequency of how, how often the same titles come. Okay. Out. That's right. No, no one has mentioned Okay. They haven't. They right. haven't. So you got a
7: passing grade All right, on that. Good. One. Thought, but yeah, that that was uh, one that we really enjoyed over here. And uh, Gina Rowlands is in it. George Kennedy plays this abusive police officer in it that, that beats the crap out of him and knocks his tooth out. And later in the movie, uh, Kirk Douglas gets the jump on him, and he's been holding onto his tooth, and he takes it out of his pocket and leaves it in George Kennedy's pocket while he's knocked out. I love There's lots of little details <laughs> like that through the movie.
4: Yeah. <laughs> and there's also a, a fight with a one-armed That's man right. played by Bill Raish, the guy who is the one-armed man from the Fugitive TV oh, show. Oh, wow.
7: Okay. Yeah, that fight was awesome. He He agrees to put his hand behind his back and fight this one-armed man almost to the death in a bar fight. He's only getting into a fight so he can get thrown into jail, so he can try to free his friend from jail because he snuck in a bunch of files to cut the bars. I (laughs) had forgotten the one-armed man. Yeah, yeah. Um, The next one, this is one that I just think is just so much fun. It's a very silly movie about dancing, uh, and I love it. It's uh, Breakin'. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Breakin'. <laughs> Breaking Electric that's Boogaloo. It, well, look,
1: that's, the no, that's, the, that's the second one, Joe. <laughs> Robert, I don't know if you've had a chance, or, or we just dropped our second one of these compilations uh, okay. today. Uh, the, fir- the first one was the Pandemic Parade. Our second one is Pandemic Parade <laughs> 2 Electric Boogaloo. So
7: have we seen Breaking? Are you okay, kidding well, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, so when I was uh, editing my movie in uh, El Paso for five months, I was in this really kind of dingy border hotel uh, in the desert and I had a DVD player and our editor, Zach Passero he said, you've got to watch this movie break and it's going to, it's going to, you're going to love it. And so I watched it by myself. And I haven't had so much fun watching a movie by myself because I never really laugh out loud when I'm watching the movie alone. And I was just uh-huh. totally entranced. I think I ordered a Domino's pizza and sat there with it on my lap and watched the, the whole movie, the blast. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Yes. yes. You've got Shish.
1: Yeah. I did. the second second one's uh, interesting, but they they uh they lost the magic. Yeah, the
7: second one was like you know, more more of the same. It was nice to see everybody come back, but the first one's so good. Yeah. So, uh and it bears uh, naming the the guys that do all the popping and locking and it's uh Shabadoo and Shrimp. <laughs> yep. That's a fun movie. <laughs> um, another one that I've recommended to a couple of people who have said, what's something that maybe I haven't seen that and, and I'm sure you guys have seen it many times, but um uh The Man Who Would Be King is one that I, I've watched. And, oh yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. One of my one of my all time uh, favorite movies. Yes. John um, Houston, it's a Rudyard Kipling. Uh, I think it was was it an epic poem or or something? It's a short story or something like that. It's a short story, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. And, Loosely based on a true Okay. Story. Yeah. And it's guys, these two guys that kind of fail upward to becoming gods in Afghanistan or something. It's, it's, they're, they're yeah. two uh, uh, ex soldiers in the 19th century uh, Brit- the, British the, India. This, the,
1: the story is, um, cause yeah, that's one of the greatest movies ever made, I, I argue. And, uh, uh John Huston first tried to, Joe will correct me, first tried to get it made with Humphrey Bogart yeah. and Clark Gable. And then, um, who was it? Who was the next? Was it Was Bogart and somebody, Joe? Yeah. I, I think it was like Bogart and somebody.
4: And, it, and it's quite a few years before Yeah, actually But, but was
1: yeah, yeah, for many. And then finally in the 60s, he went to, he wanted Robert Redford and Paul Newman. And he went mm. to Newman. And supposedly Newman read the script and went, this is fantastic, but you're insane if you don't get Connery mm. and Kane.
7: And they are perfect in this. They're so
1: perfect. They've never yeah. been better. If you love Sean Connery and have not seen this, you've never seen That's Sean it. Connery. If you love Michael Caine and have not seen this film, you've yeah,
7: and it's, yeah, like, a, it's so like a it's like a brilliant adventure movie that also has amazing sense of yeah. humor. It's a really funny movie. Oh, it's so funny! It's so funny, and that's where Michael Caine really? met his wife, wow,
4: Shakira, she,
1: Shakira, yes, she is the princess.
7: Wow. So yeah, that that's just one that I that that I love, and, and anybody oh, who hasn't one, seen it, yeah. see it, I'm sure lots of the film buffs on here have, but yes.
1: And it's outside, and there's these incredible. It's a great movie to watch. If you're yeah, that's kind movies. of what
7: I was thinking. It was something about the, just the, the yeah. scope <laughs> of it. Felt like I'm I'm out there doing something.
6: <laughs> yep. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places: Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. Plus, my pal and noted China historian, Rana Mitter, joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face off launches April 9th.
7: Um, I'm going to go with UHF. Uh, We're just. UHF, (laughs) all right. This is is diverse, an eclectic (laughs) group. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just trying to think of stuff that makes me happy and hopefully it will make some other people happy yeah. while they're trapped inside. Um, yeah, I love UHF, Jay Levy movie. It's written by Weird Al and, and Jay and uh, has Victoria Jackson and Michael Richards and Kevin McCarthy. I think Joe knows Kevin on some level. <laughs>
4: sure. Yeah, yeah no, Kevin, Kevin always, And he had a great time making that. Yeah, it, it, it's just, it spoofs
7: everything that you loved and it's kind of like all of all of his best music videos, almost crammed into one movie. Uh, it's got stop motion and it has uh, miniatures, and it's it's just so much fun. and And I love that movie so much.
4: I worked with I worked with Weird Al. Uh, I did a a ride film for SeaWorld really? called the Haunted Lighthouse, and it was one of those four D things. It was in three D, but then there are gimmicks, like you know, they make you feel like there are rats in the theater, and there's little. <laughs> Little uh, feathers that, that <laughs> tickle you, and, all, and they drop water on you and stuff. And and we're and and now was in the movie? And and um, he uh, it was he worked for one day. Very really quiet, really, really sweet guy. But just in, in the corner of wow. the book. Do you remember you know, what? He,
7: do you remember what he not, was reading? Not
4: show busy at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> all right. I don't. Yeah.
1: Well, I remember being at q and A, a Q&A at the DGA for Spike Lee's Twenty Fifth Hour. And Spike came out afterwards. which was an amazing film, and Spike was doing the Q and A. And throughout, he would just stop every now and then, sort of look in the audience strangely, and um, had no idea what it was. And then at the end of the thing, everyone stood up to get out. You realize front and center, Weird Al was sitting there in a caftan, <laughs> with his hair all the way down. And I just, came out. there's like just no way to do a normal Q and A with him That's sitting amazing. there staring at. Him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're just wonderful. It's such a fun movie. It's such and fun.
7: the last one that I that if you've never seen it is absolutely one of my favorite movies of all time, and one that that I try to watch once a year and and just just watched is the last detail, um, the Hal Ashby movie.
4: Oh. Um, yeah, too much swearing <laughs> it is. It's like wall to wall. There's a there's a TV version of that movie where they've tried to take out all the swear How words. How do you even do you that? Them, and it is. It's hilarious.
5: <laughs> That's, insane. That's
4: insane. Randy Quaid is so young
7: yeah, no, in that movie. No kidding. And he's, <laughs> basically, the premise—if you haven't seen it—is this: this young, uh, what is he? A, uh, he's in the navy. He's uh,
5: in the yeah, and, he? yeah,
7: and he he stole yeah. a little bit of money from a charity fund, like forty dollars, and he's going to go to jail for like eight years for it. So, uh, Jack Nicholson and Otis Young have to escort him uh, from. Norfolk, Virginia up to uh, Maine. And it's kind of this this last great weekend they're going to give this guy before he goes to jail because he's going to lose his whole youth. And uh, it's just a, I, I, it's one of the most human, fun, strange. I mean, who even thinks of an idea like that? And the way that they pull it off, it's just it's just perfect. Sorry, I just want to register with
1: our listeners that the man who came up with the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot just said, who comes up with that idea? <laughs> <about
5: a movie. laughs>
1: I, um, yeah. It's a great, and based, based on a book. Uh, and God, I'm, I'm blank. There's a, um, didn't Richard Linklater just make a
7: sequel I didn't know year? that yes. was a sequel. I wondered so, if it had something to do with it because it is so similar. Okay.
1: The book is, I apologize. I think that, I think they, they sort of removed some of the elements, okay. change names of the book in the film so that it wouldn't have to function as so overt a sequel, but yeah, the book was actually a sequel. Yeah, it's a great yeah. Robert Town screenplay. I of its best. Well, wow, that is that is a fantastic,
7: I, I actually want to go see all of those. <laughs> so yeah, those are the five that I was thinking about. I, and there was a stack of other ones that I, I, would, I would mention that I just think are a little underappreciated. Do you want me to rattle them off at light speed? Okay. Sure. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, well, yes, no. no okay. Let's break
7: the rules. So, here's Damn a little it. pile of stuff that, if you haven't seen it during quarantine, they're, they don't have anything to do with being quarantined. They're just movies that I think could use a little more love and are, are terrific. Uh, uh, Killing Them Softly, the Brad Pitt movie. That is, mm-hmm. uh, yes, I, yeah,
1: yeah, fuck. A yeah, killer movie. Yeah, uh,
7: so the Sam Raimi movie, A Simple Plan. Great. If you've never seen that. Yep, uh, uh-huh. Death Trap, the Sydney Lamette movie. Oh, sure. Uh, there's an absolutely wonderful um, Hammer horror film uh, with uh, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Sherlock Holmes, The Hound of Baskervilles. My wife and I love that one.
5: Uh, with the, mm-hmm. uh, uh,
7: Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days. You can stream the series Evangelion right now on Netflix, which is one of my favorite series ever. Um, if you want an end-of-the-world theme, you have Miracle Mile, which is a great movie.
5: Oh, yeah. And Always then cool.
7: uh, Studio so, yeah. Ghibli's uh, The Secret World of Arietti based on The Borrowers. That movie will make you feel happy.
4: There's <laughs> something that I hope
7: people can discover.
4: We could use yeah, a little happy. Movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Robert, thank you so much, man. I really uh, uh, appreciate you taking the time to share this. Thanks, Thanks for coming. Oh, yeah, no, no problem.
7: It's nice yeah. to see your faces <laughs> and hear your voices and hopefully we'll all, we'll all meet each other in the end.
2: Of all the billions of planets in space, only one is off limits to man. Forbidden World. touchdown down on Forbidden World, where explorers discover an unimaginable horror. Part alien, part human, all nightmare. It lives on Forbidden World, and next it's coming for you. <coughs> Forbidden World, a science fiction shocker. Rated R under 17, not admitted without parent.
1: Next up, one of the most prolific filmmakers I know uh, and director of the very, very, very wonderful The Last Movie Star, which was Burt Reynolds' beautiful swan song. If you haven't seen it yet, um, maybe pause this episode, go watch it, then come back. Anyway, here's Adam.
5: Uh,
1: Adam, you know the drill, baby. You want five
8: movies. Five movies. To watch during, to watch during quarantine time.
1: A pandemic, yes.
8: Well. I'll give you my five thoughts and uh, of course you, people can do whatever they choose, but I'll, I'll give you my thoughts <laughs> and, and, and no, and actually watch, you don't,
4: no, don't no mandate that they watch them. We just no,
8: actually down. you
1: guys were, it's martial law. They actually have to watch these films. <laughs>
8: <laughs> well, they're not, they're not gonna, they're not going to be very happy about my choices of what they have to watch, but, uh, but who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe some people will watch them and some people will like them. Who knows? Th- this could happen. Um, Okay, well, you know, I listened to Dan Waters uh, give his thoughts on movies during quarantine time, and he said something that I thought was very uh, interesting, and I agree with. You realize I have to edit this so that he doesn't hear it. (laughs) He said it's it's a good time to eat your vegetables, and what he means by that is we've (laughs) got a lot of time on our hands to maybe watch the films that we've been purposely avoiding. So get back any into number
4: the, of get back into that Tarkovsky groove is that the
8: idea? Well, <laughs> it's funny you should say that because <laughs> this is a different Russian film. Uh, and uh, now, Josh, you know that I've already seen this film three times. I
1: know in theaters. I saw yes. it three
8: times on the big screen. It's Sergei Bondarchuk's version of War and Peace. And um, doesn't that run two weeks? It's it's almost eight hours long.
4: Yeah.
8: Um, it, it's, they started production in 1961. It took them to 1967 to finish. Um, and at the height of the Cold War, uh, the Soviet government greenlit and funded the film because they were so upset that King Vidor's 1956 version starring Audrey Hepburn and Henry Fonda was such a big hit in Russia that they felt that... Uh, that Mother Russia should produce the definitive version of their beloved classic, you know? Right. So uh, Nikita Khrushchev greenlit the film. And uh, with, the, with, the, with the, the power of the Russian government and the, the entire uh, Red Army at their disposal as extras, they, they recreated battle scenes that I, I've never seen anything like before or since. Um, but anyway... When I first saw the film, I saw it about 25 years ago, there was a screening of it at the DGA. And I had heard about this film, but I had never seen it. And I thought to myself, eight hours, there was two intermissions. I thought, I'll give it the first couple hours and see what happens. Um, But I was so mesmerized by the first couple hours that I came back for the next couple hours, the next couple hours, and it was mind blowing. It was so good. But the print was beat to shit. It looked like, looked like crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, 25 years later, I hear that the, uh, the um, Criterion Collection completely restored the film. And yes, they were we releasing it in, on Blu-ray, which uh, is now available on Blu-ray and on the Criterion channel. But before um, it came out on Blu-ray, they screened it, the, new, they, the restored version, they screened it at the Arrow in Santa Monica. I went to see it equally blown away this time and then a month later they screened it again at the Egyptian and I went to see it yet again um, so I highly recommend to anyone who uh, is a fan of cinema to check it out because you've got plenty of time on your hands uh, you, yeah. can, you can you could you can binge it like a series you know you can watch it in two-hour chunks you can watch it in three hour chunks you can watch it all day who, who, well however you choose I, I highly recommend it
1: Fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've been meaning to. Um, that's a great one. That is a great one.
8: Um, okay. My next one, number two, is more in keeping with uh, the theme of us all being quarantined um, due to a global pandemic, and that's uh, The Omega Man. <laughs> yes. Uh, directed by Boris Segal, starring uh, Charlton Heston. And uh, as you know, based on the Richard Matheson book, I Am Legend. Uh, which had been made, obviously, prior as The Last Man on Earth. Um, in fact, you know, I, the other night I actually watched a film that was very similar that I had never heard of before. Joe, you've probably seen it, uh, called the, um, the, the World, the Flesh, and the Devil with Harry oh, yeah. Belafonte.
4: Harry oh, Belafonte, yeah. yeah. That, was a, that was a pretty big hit at the time.
8: I had never even heard of that film for whatever reason, and I thought it was great. Harry Belafonte is the last man on earth. I thought it was fabulous, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, I Am Legend, you know, the book and the movie versions. But anyway, I love uh, Omega Man for all its, uh, you know, listen, I, I was driving through LA the other day, and I felt like I was in Omega Man. Yeah. Those shots of Charlton Heston driving through desolate Los Angeles. I mean, luckily, Anthony Zerbe and his cult of zombie vampire weirdos aren't coming out when the sun goes down. But I think- So far as we know. So yeah, far if as we know. you're out there, they might be, you might see <laughs> But I will say that uh, I loved that film as a kid, and I loved it again. Perhaps for nostalgia purposes, uh, uh, or I should say perhaps nostalgically, I loved it again. I mean, uh, uh, but uh, I, I had a great time with it, just watching it the other day. I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's great. A- applicable to our times. But, you know, that film leads me to my next film. Because in that film, Charlton Heston watches a movie. And he watches Woodstock. And I, I recommend another really long film to help pass the time. I recommend people watch the director's cut of Woodstock. Which, as you know, is a documentary, Academy Award-winning documentary about Woodstock, the 1969 music festival. Uh, And among the editors were Martin Scorsese and Thelma Schumacher. 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 Yes. Anyway, great documentary. You feel like you're there. It's not just a concert film. You really. I think it's probably an hour before you even get to the first. Performance. I mean, just the whole setup. Of the it's such a great time capsule. I love it,
5: Fantastic. and it's really
8: long, and uh, it helps pass the time. So, that's my number uh, three. Okay, number four. <laughs> I read a book called The Big Goodbye, which is about the making of Chinatown. Yes, yeah, So I'm reading it right now. Which I find to be a fabulous read. It's a really yeah. fun read. So that inspired me to rewatch Chinatown, which I've seen a hundred times. And but now you've seen it
4: 101.
8: Now I've seen 101 because reading all the, you know, I'd heard little things about the making of, it and obviously everybody knows about the, all the. If you read the Bob Evans uh, autobiography, or if you read Easy Riders, Raging Bull, you know you get a little glimpse of that stuff. But this movie, this excuse me, this book really digs deep into the what what in, you know how the film evolved and how the film. Got made and who's to blame and who's at, at fault for and who's it really is fa- a fabulous read. The, it's interesting, you know, I was thinking, I haven't thought to myself, well, this is, you know, ni- set in 1937, Paramount Studios made it. it seems weirdly uh, 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 coincidental that another movie set in 1937 also produced at Paramount, was made The Day of the Locust. And I, was, I always wondered what the deal is with that. Well, it turns out that there was a tremendous competition at Paramount between Bob Evans and Frankie Yablons, who was the other you know, head of the studio and the head of distribution. And Bob Evans was the, obviously the, the sexy studio head, the one that got all the good press, the one that hobnobbed with all the stars, the one that uh, you know, was a, a star himself. And Frankie Yablons, who really comes off as a piece of shit in the book, uh, he he purposely greenlit They're the Locust as a, a bit of a fuck you to Bob Evans, not only greenlighting Chinatown but also producing Chinatown, which was part of his deal that he could produce a movie a year in addition to running the studio. Anyway, I thought that was interesting, but uh, I just want to read you one little thing from the book that is from Howard Koch Jr., son of legendary Howard. W. Koch, Howard Koch Jr. was the first AD on Chinatown. And he said, we were shooting the My Sister, My Daughter scene. And next door, on the next stage, John Schlesinger was shooting the premiere scene from The Day of the Locust, which is a mind-blowing scene. I love that movie too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, and right across the street, Coppola and Al Pacino were shooting the Senate hearing room for Godfather 2. And we all broke for lunch at the same time. And I remember, <laughs> like in Sunset Boulevard, where you see all the extras walking down the street. Well, it was Jack and it was Faye and Al and Schlesinger and Coppola, and Plansky all walking down the street to the old Paramount Commissary. And I thought, wow, I'm in Hollywood. So I thought that was pretty I thought that was pretty <laughs> That's good. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then my number five movie, and I I I debated um what my number five movie should be and and i'm i'm defaulting to just pure sort of feel-good movie sort of comfort sure. food movie in this time of uncertainty and fear and paranoia and you know i was thinking well, well should i uh suggest dr strange level well, that's you know brilliant and but it's about the end of the world and maybe that's not you know applicable maybe that's too applicable um, a boy and his dog, which I love obviously, but maybe that's too disturbing. Anyway, I, I just I just abandoned all that. I went pure comfort food movie for number five. And it just I thought to myself, what movie always makes me feel good whenever I see it, no matter how miserable I feel, no matter how depressed I am. If I pop in Harold and Maud, it puts a smile on uh-huh. my face. And so Great. another, by the way, black people another-
4: about, about committing suicide. Yeah. <laughs>
8: <laughs> well, there's that. There is that but still, um, always makes me feel good, that movie. Another Paramount movie greenlit by Bob Evans, incidentally. But anyway, um, so if people out there listening in Radioland haven't seen Harold and Maude, um, I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, it's the most unusual love story uh, you could imagine, and it's got a great soundtrack, and Ruth Gordon and, and, and Bud Cord are fabulous in it. And Hal Ashby is one of the great directors of all time. Anyway, those are my five. Wonderful, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Well, I think you guys are doing, I think you guys are doing important work here, making, uh, making uh, suggestions of movies for people. Because as we all know, uh, movies are, are, are a balm that help us through difficult times. And th- these are definitely difficult times. And so I think that some of the movies you guys are... Uh, talking about and, and the filmmakers you're talking about are suggesting are uh, all great ways to to come together during this apocalypse
4: movies are your best entertainment it's
8: that's true right. it's true
4: <laughs> now now more than ever <laughs> that's all right
2: charlton heston is the omega man the omega man more than fantasy maybe the future rated gp The fantastic duel of the century. The most ferocious battle in history. The flesh and blood King Kong fights his most incredible enemy. A 60-foot robot King Kong forged of super steel. King Kong Escapes. All new, all thrilling in technicolor. King Kong battles missiles, monsters, and a King Kong of steel. King Kong Escapes. A Toho Company limited picture, a universal release.
1: So, hey, we're here again with uh, Blair Bercy from the Hollywood Food Coalition. Um, for the past few weeks, we've been uh, teaming up with them to uh, try to help raise them some money because, uh, well, let's, let's let Blair tell you what they're up to. How, how are you doing, Blair?
0: We're doing a lot better. You know, with shelter in place, we were afraid of, you know, losing volunteers, losing the food, losing the ability to kind of also help people with the necessities. And this week, thanks to you and thanks to kind of promoting every aspect of it on the podcast, we have kicked butt. Um oh, Yeah, we've raised some money. And importantly, we've gotten donations from uh, a soap company and another uh, company that provides masks for our volunteers. So now not only are we able to provide everybody with access to a hot meal, they're probably their only meal of the day, we can give them something to take home, plus all of our volunteers are safe. And everybody that comes to the line now will have a kind of necessity kit where they can take soap home, or soap anywhere else they can find water, we can also give them water um, so that they can wash their hands, keep clean, and a mask. The mask exactly. is important so that the spread um, doesn't continue. So it's been a really good week, but, you know, we're we're hitting that point in a month where people's money, um, if they are on a fixed income, if they are on food stamps, especially with the stress to the system now that everyone is unemployed, um, it's getting harder for people to get their resources um from the government and from other organizations, because as we've seen lately, other other organizations are shutting down. Um, So if anybody would like to donate, we encourage it.
1: Yeah. So, and how many, you're feeding about how many people a night now?
0: So 300. um, We used to see, we used to serve around two was a busy night. And at the beginning of the month, we would see it even lower because that's when, um, you know, food stamps, re up and you know people get paid, but it's it's not slowing down. It's actually increasing. And yesterday uh was one of those hard days where there was this little girl who was precocious and adorable and seven and just had no idea what was going on other than the fact there were a ton of people and she ran up to me at around five and said, Is this where we get the food? Can I get some food? And I just was like, This is she's so sweet. I spent so much time talking to her. So we're it's just the kind of the um the people that we're feeding, you know the 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 service is changing a little bit, but you know mm-hmm. all optimistic, all great, you know things are happening. Everyone that comes and sees us will get, you know a hot food, a hot meal, something to take home, whether it's vegan or vegetarian, they can specify. they'll get fruit, they'll get water. they'll There's a doctor in line that's taking temperatures to make sure that we are you know stopping the spread um they'll get a mask now and soap so we're we're meeting more than just food which is what we've always wanted to right. do but it's you know it's it's hard <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's
1: fantastic. And and uh, just so so people know, so it's a, like $3 covers yeah. a hot meal for somebody.
0: And everything else that I just mentioned, because yeah. everything, we are an all volunteer-based organization and we rely on donations. So what we get in goes out immediately. We do not have some big warehouse or closet or anything right. to store this stuff in. So we get it directly into the hands of people who need it immediately. So yeah, $3, get somebody a hot fresh cooked meal, mostly by, you know, volunteers that are here with us regularly now because, you know, our volunteer base is also shrinking.
1: And um, uh, how can people donate?
0: So people can donate by texting GIVE to 323-402-5704, or they can go to our website. And when you go to our website, you will also see that we have um, the ability to sign up through Sign Up Genius. If you feel like, you know, you're in the Hollywood area and you want to help out. Um, so we are HOFOCO, dot org, And if you want to go to donate, you can do forward slash donate, or you can click around for a bit and see all of the other things that we've been doing for three decades.
1: Fantastic. Uh, well, I would urge people to do that. Um, a little bit goes a long way. And, you know, we're all sitting at home safe and warm and comfortable and well, and there's a lot of people there who aren't, um, and you can you can you can help. Why, why don't Why do you introduce our next guest,
5: Blair?
0: Okay, so your next guest is probably my most favorite person, and I forgot. This is the most random occurrence happened because I had texted you earlier that I had a Mick Garris revelation. That is true. I'm not playing. It. I, by the
1: way, I just want to say I have I have Mick Garris revelations constantly.
0: Okay, but mine is realistic and valid and very important and is not acknowledged as much as it should be. Mick Garris is responsible for the success of the Fujis, like Lauren Hill and Taz.
1: Well, well, sure. I don't need that explained to me at all. That makes perfect sense.
0: Are you being serious? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. This is what I don't understand. To me, it feels like everybody should know this, but then yeah, that reaction just lets me know you guys don't. Understand. No idea. So, the, the theme Sleepwalkers is an Enya song. It's that Enya song. It's like Bo, Bo, Odissea, Bo, whatever. It's that Enya song that everyone knows. That was a theme to Sleepwalkers. The Fuji sampled that for Ready or Not. And that was a big, huge success. I have a feeling had that song not been used in that movie as the theme, people would not know it the way that they do. Nobody was checking for Enya unless you were going to get like, I don't know, a massage. So Mick is responsible.
9: Thank
8: you. Yeah. Want me. Now that I escape sleep walk awake. Yeah. Those who yeah. cover they know the world they kick. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake they break. When they meet their four hundred pound mate if I could rule the
0: world. That actually makes sense. Okay.
8: I'm being
1: re- serious. You're I, gonna be like a I think I think
0: you're right. I know I'm right.
1: I think we'll have to ask Mick next time he's on.
0: Please do. Please yes. do. So, yeah. So the next guest is Mick Garris, um, my absolute favorite director. So I'm excited. I'll, I'll listen to it. It makes me nervous because I really do genuinely love him so much. Like, I don't listen to his show, which is horrible to <laughs> say. But I do love when you, you know you love somebody so much, you just want to keep them in that bubble. <laughs> that's, that's how I am. I'm a sick person, guys. Yes. That's what you're learning from the show. Don't forget uh, to donate. <laughs> well,
1: Mick's podcast is great. And if, if you can bear, to gaze upon his uh, awesome and terrible beauty, um, it is worth listening to. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I, I, I see, like I get the notifications. I'll, I'll listen at some point. It makes me nervous. It does, I love him. It would hurt me. Like, I don't think he would ever say anything problematic. I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna start a fan club. I'm not even playing. I'm gonna do my own podcast about like Six Degrees of Mick.
1: Fantastic. Uh, well, good luck with that. And um we will talk to you next week. And yeah, and with thank that, you. here's here's Mick Garris. Um, uh, but thank thank you for doing this. I know um you've you've probably I think you've heard our our last episode where um Blair Bercy from the food bank uh, nerded, nerded out on you a little bit.
10: <laughs> I did indeed, and it like I, I was almost in tears. It I, it was no, so you're, unexpected.
4: You're a biggest fan.
10: Well, gosh, her and Kathy
1: Bates. There you go. Well, uh, you're, in, you're in good company. Um, and, uh, yeah.
10: But yeah, but thank you for coming on and doing this.
4: I uh, appreciate it. And-
10: oh, it's my pleasure. I'm such a huge fan of the show
4: and of both oh. the so what have So what have you been watching or listening to or catching up with? Or-
10: What's getting you through this? There are a number of things. Um, one of the things uh, I loved, and we just finished watching last night, um, is season three of Ozark. Mm-hmm. And it is so well cast, so amazingly well done and beautiful. My my family lived in the Ozarks, not with me, but after I left home. And I've been there a few times, but this, I think it's shot in Georgia rather than in Missouri where it takes place. But mm-hmm. Jason Bateman is so fucking talented as a director, as an actor. He has such range and everything. And uh, this show is dark. I mean, talk about uh, Laura Linney as Lady Macbeth here. And in, in many ways, there is blood on everyone's hands in the show, mm. but it just gets deeper. Have you guys watched it? I have not seen it yet. It's um, we have oh, uh, three seasons of it, and it just gets deeper and deeper and darker. And there's an actress named Julia Garner in there who is one of the most wonderfully created and played characters I've ever seen in any TV show. It's really special.
1: I was so. saying to, um, uh, we had Ron Perlman on the other day. and Oh, and he's so great. It struck me as we were talking uh, that um, we have reached a point in the culture where there are so many these massive bingeable shows out there that you'll never get a chance to watch, that perhaps, perhaps this is God's way of telling us to get caught up on them all. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah,
10: God is telling you to watch lots of television. Watch Ozark.
5: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he works for ICM.
10: <laughs> it's good for the planet, but it's a very yeah. special show. Yeah. There's three seasons of it. I think it's ten episodes a season, and Laura Linney and and fantastic. and yes. Jason Bateman and and Julia Garner and everyone in it, every one line player is fantastic, and it's really a very unique show. And it's sort of you know Ozark noir. Uh, mm-hmm. Josh, you in particular, I think would really respond.
1: I, oh no, it's very much all. It's just it's it's you know. If it's you just bad, I just can't
4: possibly watch all the things. <laughs> that yeah, yeah,
1: I have I have uh, twenty four hours of Narcos left to go before I can uh, move on to the next okay. thing, and then uh, I yeah. haven't moved into that one yet. So <laughs> it's great, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's great. It was one of the nice things about the movie era was you could watch five or six movies a week and. Still have a life.
10: Uh, yeah, back in the but, day. Yeah, but
1: now it's, you know, it's like, yeah, it's 30, 40, 50 hours. We, we, we finished the we finished all of The Sopranos.
10: Uh, like oh, it wow. It's 86
1: episodes.
10: <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's a lot
4: of anything to take.
10: We, we had started before before this, though. So. And Joe, I heard you were watching The Untouchables.
4: Yes. I have been uh, plowing through The Untouchables. I'm in, se- in the middle of season two. Back when there um, which,
10: were thirty nine episodes a season, right? Exactly,
4: right. and uh, it's you know it's an hour show, which, which is what fifty minutes, yeah. and uh, it's it's great black and white, and uh, it, I, I think it was shot at uh, part of it at Desilu and part of it somewhere else, and, and and because it wasn't the world's most expensive show, the more often you watch it, the more you go, oh, that hotel again. Oh, <laughs> that marquee, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, it's 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 so, it's got such good actors on it. I mean, you know, it's all those all those great players from the '40s and '30s and '50s who've now got, gotten into television, and uh, they're they're just remarkable performances by you know people like Jay Carroll Nash and you know uh, yeah. people like that. It, it, it's really um, it's a lot of fun, and you I can see looking back at it now why everybody was so upset because it is pretty violent.
10: Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember as a kid watching it and really enjoying it, but I need to see it with fresh eyes. As a grown-up, it could be lots of fun. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um mm-hmm. Next on my list uh, is kind of a tribute to Larry Cohen, you know. Ah. Uh, God Told Me To. It's his masterpiece. Uh, It's crazy. It's out of its fucking mind. But it's brilliant as well. Uh, And uh, it's incredibly well acted. And there's, uh, you know, just remarkable scenes in it. It's totally creative and inventive and original unto itself. I mean, basically, you're you're melding science fiction, horror, and religion, Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And, of course, written and directed by a Jew. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> uh, but completely <clears throat> into this world, and it takes its itself very, very seriously, and it's just beautiful. I think did Mikos Rosha do the score? I believe um,
4: uh, n- n- not that one. No, he did. Oh. He did the Private Lives of J Edgar Hoover. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's this right. was a picture that uh, Bernard Herman was supposed to do the score, and right, he right, passed away, and the guy who replaced him. Um, I can't remember Frank something. Uh, it did an amazing job. I mean, it's a, it's a great score. score.
10: It's yeah. really great. Yeah, Frank, Bernard, Cordell.
4: Frank Cordell. Frank Cordell.
10: Ah, great. He, uh, Bernard Herman had done "It's Alive" for him, and that's an amazing. That and and Taxi Driver at the same time.
5: Mm-hmm. They were the
10: two two last uh, scores that he did. But it's a really brilliant film, and Tony Lobianco Bianco is so good in it. Yeah, he really <laughs> goes balls to the wall with that. He really takes it to the mat. And I, I just love it. It's got a dark sense of humor, but mostly it's not funny. And Larry is a very, was a very funny guy and a really terrific guy. And
1: he, he was also it, so good at getting, you know, you think about John Ryan and and uh, Michael Moriarty yeah. at, at getting these actors to give these absolute knockout career defining performances. Really great. Stuff. In movies about a killer infant or a, flying right. loser that lives like in Q, yeah yeah was, you know and it's like but you oh my god they're so good at these films yeah really, lo bianco's great in that
10: really really great
1: yeah. and
10: uh so i'm gonna go grim again uh, all right with, with somebody you know well josh and joe you know um david cronenberg's masterpiece dead ringers oh, not oh. to diminish the import of uh, your work together <laughs> yeah. josh but which is also great but. Um, a lot of people don't mention this movie enough when they talk about David's movies. Mm-hmm. I think it's his his greatest work. It's as dark as it can be, but Jeremy Irons gives two performances that are spectacular and magnificent. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the whole idea of these twins who are gynecologists, who are basically binging on drugs and sex and and hedonism of every kind but also falling into a descent a maelstrom of insanity yeah. that is mm. remarkable and in the beginning of his career David was not known for the performances in his movies um, yeah. but boy it things really changed as he developed, uh, as a filmmaker and all, uh, he—I think he started out with a bang. I love his early stuff too, but um, they just got deeper and darker and and more dramatic and human and emotional. Kind of kicking off with *The Brood* in a way. Yeah,
5: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: sure. I mean, well, *Dead Ringers* is so good. Jeremy Irons is uh, phenomenal. I, 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 you know, the fa- the fact—I love the idea. And I don't know, was this the first time anyone had done this with a twin movie where he had two dressing rooms? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So whichever one he was playing on the day, he had his whole, the whole different process and the whole, oh, wow. you know, which, which makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. You know, Did Andy
4: Kaufman and Tony Clifton have two separate dressing rooms?
10: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, not anymore. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> the great late Andy Kaufman, and yeah. I've had David work for me a couple of times as an actor. He he was in a miniseries I did called The Judge, and he played mm-hmm. a uh, a detective that testifies on the stand. And a show I did an episode of called Happy Town, and David it is in that as well. And he really progressed as an actor too. But I mean, yeah, David, he's good. He Let me guess.
4: Our shows were shot in Canada.
10: Yeah. You think? <laughs> I think Nightmare Cinema is the only thing I've shot outside of Canada in 15 years. I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Yeah. He's, he's great surprised. in To Die For as well.
4: I was supposed to play that part. Really? What? Yeah, Landon, Landis asked me to play the part, and I looked at how, many, how much dialogue there was. And I said, <laughs> you know, John, I, I think I have to do some, some dubbing. And uh, David did it. I mean, I couldn't believe how much dialogue there was.
10: I had heard that it was your agent was asking for too much.
4: My my (laughs) agent,
10: Joe's (laughs) acting
1: agent, yeah,
4: yeah, who gets his, he gets less money than I do. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, no, Dead Ringers is amazing and very grim, and and uh, um, uh, based on a really really mediocre book.
10: Yeah, yeah, I mean this this movie it's a real really potboiler.
1: It's uh yeah,
10: yeah, it's it's one of those instances that's rare where it's much deeper than the movie that it's based on. Usually a film is book. so much more superficial and external than a book can ever be. Yeah. But this has it just reeks with depth and and perceptive performances and really really everybody in it is fantastic. Yeah. Really yeah. well.
1: That's a good one.
10: I'm going to stay in the dark realm uh, with another TV series from Netflix like Ozarks, but one that no one I've talked to has seen called Freud. It just dropped at the end of March and it's eight episodes all directed by one director, uh, Marvin Krenn. um, It was filmed in Eastern Europe, but it's an Austrian show in German, so it's English subtitles. But it's not John Houston's dry biopic kind of thing of Freud. Hmm. It is, it's a horror series, and it goes supernatural, and it's incredible. The acting, once again, everyone in it is fantastic. Nobody is familiar to an American audience in this. But it's set during Freud's youth when he's just establishing his theories and concepts in psycho- psychological treatment. And it deals with dreams and sexuality and blood, and it doesn't shy away from anything. And uh, we actually just recorded an interview with the director who who created the show with his writing partner and wrote a couple of the episodes marvin Marvin Krenn. Uh, but the sound quality was so bad on our Skype call. Um, we're, we're going to put it out as a bonus episode, but it's very mm. insightful and really interesting, but you really have to be a fan to get through all the technical glitches. But Fantastic. the show is European television doesn't need to be expensive to be rich and gorgeous and feel immersive and immense. Oh, no, that's true.
4: I've, I've been watching my brilliant friend and it's also a, oh, yeah, Italian show and it's, and it's, it's fully as well-made as any movie. It's, uh, and, it, but but I don't think Netflix exactly broke the bank advertising Freud because I frankly until you mentioned it had never heard of it.
10: Yeah, yeah. I I just saw it on a row of you know the the little icons of each of those things. But that's, that that's
4: the tragedy of, of of the way this works is that you yeah. don't you you have to pick something by a, a little a little icon that may or may not be interesting in a row of you know 150 other icons. Yeah. Without anybody telling you what it is. And yeah, it, and Netflix has all this money and doesn't spend anything in promoting this material is just, it's amazing to me.
1: But somehow they find the audiences they need, I guess. I'm, I think I talked about this on the show. I remember a uh, uh, couple, a couple months ago, it was just the perfect time for it. And we decided to watch six underground, the new, 200 million dollar michael bay film that had just dropped on netflix
10: oh and
4: i had never heard of
1: (laughs) i had to type it into the search engine to find it now
10: really yeah usually once they pump money into they they promote uh as you know the number one panel when you know i think there's an algorithm
4: that they use that based on what you've already watched they find things that they think you will like or the machine says you'll like as opposed to actually picking things to promote
1: yeah, I guarantee mm. you there are other people who turned on Netflix that whole week and all they saw was that movie. But I, right. um, or they, you know, Sense8, which they spent a trillion dollars on,
4: yes, that's amazing series, yeah, like impossible to
10: find <laughs> one, it. It one so
4: billboard that we shot all over the world,
10: yeah, yeah. and oh, by the Wachowskis, mind. which you yeah. know, it's no small change either. So, yeah, um, yeah. well, I it's it's why I wanted to talk about it and talk about it on my yeah. show as well. Oh, that's a great it's one, it's because. Yeah. because I don't want you to pass it by and see this Freud.
5: here
10: <laughs> oh, yeah. here's another bio series that Dangerous you know. Method Two. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <It's people laughs> passion <two>. Yeah. <laughs> Freud Two. Freud Two. So Electric but, Blue. <laughs> yeah, but I, it's it's very <laughs> special, and and I really think, particularly people who are into the genre, who are also into really intelligent adult tellings within the horror genre, um, that are very deeply rooted in reality. I think uh-huh. they're really going to enjoy it. It's, it's really special. It goes dark. It's not for uh, grandma to watch, but, uh, unless you have a really great grandma. <laughs> 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 um, and then I thought it would be time to turn to some fun. I oh, originally, good. I originally mentioned a movie to you, Josh, that you said, you know, this comes up a lot. So rather than one film, I'd rather turn to one filmmaker's oeuvre. Um, Preston Sturgis was Hollywood's first ever writer-director and made some of the funniest, most brilliant, most scintillating comedies that have ever been done. They're completely unique to him and his style. And people, film buffs, who are into film history and the like, they know who he is, but the younger generation who has never seen anything in black and white has never even heard of him. His son Preston was also a screenwriter and I was the first guy to ever hire him to write a screenplay for me on a TV, TV movie called virtual obsession based on a book called host that I directed and and Preston and I wrote the uh, screenplay. Um, and it's also very obscure, but is on Amazon Prime. Um, but, That's where but you got to
4: pre- find the obscurities.
10: Yep. which is great because you know Netflix doesn't seem to carry a lot of classic film.
4: No, but- they don't carry anything older than ten years. So uh, they, it, it, Amazon Prime is, uh, which has an amazing repository of stuff, uh, is it, it's always the first place to check if you think you might want to find something, including foreign films.
10: It is really amazing how deep their catalog of old and classic films are. So between that and Canopy and, and Hoopla and places like mm-hmm. that. Um, but but Sturgis, he was a hugely successful screenwriter in Hollywood in the 30s. And uh, The Power and the Glory was probably his biggest uh, biggest one that he wrote and did not direct. It influenced Citizen Kane in a lot of ways. Uh, you won the Oscar, I believe, for the screenplay. If I'm not wrong, Joe, you you would know better. I'm not. Big, I'm not big on
4: Oscar and its history. Okay.
10: But but um, he had written a, a script called The Great McGinty, and it's a it's a satire about political po- uh, power plays and the like. Ooh, political power plays. Um, triple P. Uh, but it was so brilliant, and and the studios wanted it badly and he said I will sell it to you for $1 with one caveat I have to direct it he had been sick of directors completely what he thought bastardizing the screenplays that he had written
4: just like what he had, just like uh, Billy Wilder
10: yeah exactly exactly and so he was the first one to actually have the ammunition to get paramount to say yes. And then it became a hit. Then he did Christmas in July. Then he did The Lady Eve, which is by far one of the best uh screwball comedies or, or comedies of the 1940s. He became the most successful filmmaker of the 1940s for but his career was very, very brief. Um, after The Lady Eve, which is one of the very best, is my favorite. Uh, the one that I proposed to you that you told me, yeah, yeah, everybody likes that one.
4: <laughs> oh, I,
10: it's Sullivan's Travels. Oh, it's a <laughs> oh, the great moment. Oh, the great moment. That was one I wasn't even going to mention. When, when he turned to drama,
4: it no, was It was not his movie.
10: Yeah. Well, that happened to him more than once, including the... The career killing, the sins of Harold Diddleback, right. um, which it's it's a fun movie, but not not the one you have your last memories of. Or,
4: no, his last his last really good movie was Unfaithfully Yours.
10: Yeah, I think that was forty eight, and yeah. and that was just Rex Harrison's great. It was remade, not yeah. particularly well, right. but that's a masterpiece. But to me, his his greatest film is Sullivan's Travels, which is all about. Joel McRae is a very successful director of frothy little musicals and comedies in Hollywood who decides he wants to go live with the little people, the real people, the genuine people on the streets, the homeless, the poor, the destitute, and ends up um, losing his identity, being robbed and being away from Hollywood where nobody knows him and learns to discover what is important in life. And for him and for America at that time was comedy and happiness and laughter and joy. And it's just the most wonderful film. And so I do have uplifting tastes and and love to to watch uh, cheerful and funny and and playful movies too. I feel like we're
1: all dark. of us are all of us are those guys in the chain gang right now. So
10: yeah, yes, um, exactly.
4: Hoping for that Pluto cartoon.
10: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, it, uh, but it's it, you know those are uh, wildly different movies and television yeah. series and the like. But but that's what's so great about living in this era all of the abilities, if we have to be home with our 85 inch televisions or what, or, or our 10 inch, uh, tablets, we have so many sources to turn to, to see so many things. And they're creating so many things for these streaming services, in addition to broadcast television and everywhere else that, um, you know, it it's an inexhaustible supply, and we are so lucky in that regard. I mean, I'd rather see it on a 60-foot screen, but to be able to see it in my home uh, is is a treasure that is worth embracing, particularly now.
1: Yeah, especially now.
10: <laughs> especially now, yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's my list fantastic, man! Thank you so much. That was that was a great and
2: wildly diverse <laughs> collection. Of it, so. Well, thank you
1: for something, having something for everyone
2: the manhandlers when the mob muscles in on the massage parlors the girls rub them down then rub them out soft chicks and hard guys lusting for a piece of the action the manhandlers the torrid touch of tingle fingers drives men to a frenzy of naked desire massage parlor malls hold you in the grip of vice, skirting disaster flirting with fate, dancing with death, dangerous dolls take on the whole gang, Machine. Gun mamas, blasting the underworld with a hot shower of lead. The man handlers. The massage parlor racket laid bare. The dens of desire spread to reveal a thousand thrills. He wields a 45. She carries a pair of 38s. The Vice Squad busts in. The girls bust out. More guts than the godfather. The man handlers. Wait till they get their hands on you. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent.
1: And now to usher us out. Here is comedian, writer, producer, actor, TV host, podcast host, uh, um, chef, raconteur, um, genius, brilliant, wonderful, the lovely, lovely, legendary Larry Wilmore. How are you making it through these uh, interesting times?
11: Uh, You know, just taking it day by day. It's weird. Some days I'm like, man, did I eat anything? And other days it's like, have I? Have I stopped
4: eating? You know,
11: it's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre. You know, uh,
4: if you want to stop eating, just watch one of the uh, briefings that's going on right now. That'll, that'll oh, take yeah. away your appetite. Oh, it's just like a horror film. You know, it is. It's a horror film. that won't end. It's an endless horror mm-hmm. film, and it keeps having sequels. He just needs to stay out of that room. You know, they yeah, He to- does.
11: Yeah, he needs to uh, shelter in his own room, At the way. <laughs> it's like, He's the one that needs to shelter at home. Yeah, I, he, Trump, he just tweets. He's just so confusing, too. Yeah. And Trump, he never finishes a thought, too, which is very funny. He'll start a sentence, veer off, skin oh, into... Yeah. Well, you know,
4: his vocabulary is, is below Dr. Seuss' level. Uh, he, yeah. Every every other word is incredible. And it, well, all the words have well, lost their meaning. Beautiful, beautiful, Jim. And beautiful, beautiful, yeah.
11: Yeah, it's, uh, and was, it's like, amazing. Uh, whenever Trump would give speeches, it was like he was reading for the first time, you know, because he would agree with his speeches. Did you ever know? Yeah,
5: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. That's true. We need to do that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: the uh, the United States Army. Uh, it's a huge army. It's a beautiful army. We have a beautiful
4: army. Oh man. Uh, uh, but well, if, nonetheless, in order to take our minds off such beautiful things, we yeah, would yes. ask, we would ask Larry what he recommends for other shut-ins uh, to you know uh, while away their time, and there's plenty of time to while away.
11: Well, I'm sure you're getting a lot of interesting ideas and in movies and stuff. I know from your guys' collection of of friends and guests who are banging in, you know. So, you know, it's funny because. With movies, I, I consider all movies for me shelter movies because I just go. I love going down rabbit holes and spinning like all, I could spend whole day watching sure. I watch movies here, you know. but I thought I would pick some that are just kind of I I don't know some good movies to escape with. I guess you can look at it like that. So top of my list, top of my list, I got to start with the Marx Brothers, and we got to go with Duck Soup. Well, I was going to go with Monkey Business, which arguably yep. laugh for laugh. Is
4: also popular today. Yeah.
11: <laughs> There's a reason. Marx Brothers are always funny, you know, because yeah. it's just nonstop. And uh, all the comments about government and everything. Harpo has some of his funniest scenes in that The Lemonade Stand was just hilarious. Um, you know, and it, it's just, it's so quotable, too. Duck Soup is just one of the more quotable ones. It's just great. It's just really good stuff. I'm so yeah, glad that sure. other you know, validation then, yeah really is good. And it's amazing. There's a lot of people that have not seen the Marx Brothers out there, you know, a lot of the
4: young people. No, they the uh, the, the Vogue for the Marx Brothers and W.C. Fields and all those people you know, when we were in college was obviously you know, it was a big deal because they were anarchic and they were against the establishment and, and we all grew up that way. But today's kids aren't, aren't really growing up that way.
1: You know, the Marx Brothers are great and especially for um, folks who are uh, locked up with kids right now because uh, they're they're fun for the whole family.
11: Completely. Um, all right, my second one is one from the 70s, um, which for me at that time and for a lot of my friends was just just a great movie for us, was Lady Sings the Blues. Uh-huh. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it kind of stuck out from the pack of a lot of the exploitation films at the time of being a more glamorous movie with Diana Ross. I think she was nominated for an Academy Award, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I did, yeah wasn't treating him and Billy D. Williams, you know, before you know he was in Star Wars, <laughs> yes, you know, at his most romantic lead-ish, you know um this and mahogany were the movies that you know I remember everybody loving him, and those you're gonna wait for yeah. my hand to pull off you know he would lines like that, but uh a younger in here with the cameo is fantastic, and um. Diana Ross really did a good job playing Billy Holiday. She really was good, you know. And at the yeah. time, this this for us was just it was just magic, you know, to see this on screen. You know, uh, so is nice to go back and revisit if you haven't seen it and see the, um um if you have seen it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I am I'm, I'm um I'm still, I'm trying to reconcile that with your uh escapism theme.
11: Well, I mean you're Going like, back to another time period, you know. Uh, it's just it does okay. not end well for
4: her. No, you're escaping into somebody else's life, and then you know, not all lives end well, but exactly. oh, well, okay, yeah, it's
11: a good movie, <laughs> yeah, it's you don't have, which is taking me back to the 30s, you know, which I always yeah. find, you know, kind of interesting. Like, okay, so and by and by escape, I don't necessarily mean escapism, I just yes, kind of no, it, yep, get away from what, yeah.
1: By the way, I want to, you know, we've got to, it, it, it's something I've been noticing a lot lately. It seems like there are more TV shows and more movies that are set. Um, and, and this is not a scientific observation. I could be completely yeah. wrong, but it feels like there's more shows that are set, um, you know, more more period uh, shows uh, wow. and movies lately, the last few years. I mean, it really does feel like we're all trying to escape to a different time.
11: Yeah, it used to be. You did period pieces to be able to talk about contemporary times, you know. Yeah. Because you know, for whatever reason, you couldn't talk about it. Now it's to get escape from
4: contemporary times, which is kind of interesting. Right? Yeah.
1: Everything uh, set in the future is some horrible dystopian, and everything else is set in the past.
4: Yeah. yeah well, when when there was still a future. Yes. <laughs> you guys are. Oh my god. Yeah. We're we're
11: here to cheer people up. <laughs> <laughs> I jumped off the cliff. I got to. <laughs> I got to get underneath and catch you guys. Okay, here's we have to have a documentary in here, and I actually have yes. a, a couple in this form. The last one, but this one is one of my all-time favorites. I recommend this to people all the time if they haven't seen it, and it's Michael Apted's Forty Nine Up. And um, oh yeah, uh, and the whole Up series is a great rabbit hole for these pandemic times. You know, but I would start with Forty Nine Up because I think they're up to sixty-three right now. The Forty Nine is a good place because you get a lot of the the young kids stuff and you get to see some, some growth of them. Now, if you're, if you guys aren't familiar with it, the people listening to this, Michael had found a group of kids. This is in England, like in the early sixties. And he said, find a boy at age seven and you find the man, you know, something like that, you know, and it was fascinating to see these kids each seven years. He would catch up with them. First, it was seven. The first one was called seven up and then it was 14, 21, and I found this, I think at 28 up was the first time I saw it. I saw it at the film festival. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is this thing? <laughs> I had never seen it. And so then I would look forward. To, I went 35 up, I went and saw it, and 42. But 49, I think, is a good number to start with if you haven't seen it. 49 is pretty good. Um, and he can go And he's, the, still,
4: he's still doing them.
11: He's still doing them. I, I got to meet yeah. him um, last year and talked to him about it and everything. And, and, um, it's interesting. I listen to as I'm listening to it, I kind of listen to the relationship that they have with him too. <laughs> you know, like yeah, it, yeah, it, because they've known him like all of, all their lives. It's really kind of fascinating. Relationship between director and, you know, subject or whatever. It's 49 up go down this rabbit hole guys. You will be happy that you did if you were not familiar with this.
1: Yeah, and by the way, good good stuff for you know what if you enjoy that then you can watch all the others. It's a great great kind of binge watching.
4: Um and now he said uh, the last one he did, I think he said will be the last one uh, right. that he did. He didn't, yeah. well. Some people had dropped out. A couple of people had died. And, uh, and I yeah, think yeah, he just yeah. felt that he was maybe just going to the well too often. You know?
11: Yeah. Do you think 70 he's not going to get to
4: then? I don't. I think that the, I, the scuttlebutt I heard was that he's done with it for now. Yeah. Oh, well, 70 would be completing the circle. 70 is. Yeah, That's true. Should, 70 up.
11: Uh, yeah. 70 up. <laughs> And
1: wasn't there, am I wrong? I feel like there was a time, maybe it was in the 90s, was it Phil Juano was going to start doing an American version of these things? Do you remember this?
11: No.
1: Or am I just. It may be but true, I
4: but I didn't hear about it.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know ever happened with that, but.
11: We've got eight up here because we're the best. We've got eight. They've only got seven over there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful series. Beautiful series. I guess it's all that get. Ours is perfect. Eight is perfect.
1: It's the best. It's perfect.
11: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So now my fourth one. Now this is escapism, and you're escaping too. I'm a big James Bond fan. Okay. Yes. If you're locked away and you want, and I'm going to recommend the one James Bond movie to watch, I'm going to tell you to watch From Russia with Love. Okay. Yes. 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 It's right. Second one. They Doctor No is. Really good, but it's kind of it's kind of rough, you know. But the, yeah, they're still
4: figuring it out. Yeah, well, it's, it's also, also comparatively like, a B picture. Yeah,
11: they 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 set up some things rather right well, and then Goldfinger takes it to the. It's not jumping the shark; it's really establishing the shark, really more than. anything. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, with the laser beams and all that stuff, and Goldfinger, great. By the way, Goldfinger is a classic in its own right, but for completely different reasons. From Russia with Love, Bond is still a blood and guts spy, you know. Mm-hmm. Can, you know, he's still a person in this, you know, and he's and the whole sequence on the train is, to me, it's just oh. with a great Robert Shaw, young Robert Shaw, um, just real amazing. amazing, and, and it's a
4: and, and it's a comparatively uh, serious. A picture yeah. compared to the to the two around it, you know. I mean, it's 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 a it's kind of a straight spy movie, whereas Doctor No is kind of a sci fi movie, and Goldfinger is just sort of, as you said, jumps the shark and goes off for the the, the true James Bondisms that were then, you know, uh, repeated and added to over the years.
11: Yes, exactly. You know, and it, I think it's Sean Connery at best, too. You know,
1: oh for sure, yeah.
11: Really? I, no,
1: you're making me so happy. I have so many friends who just. Th- they've been gaslighting me for years. I just I stand firm on it. I'm like it's from Russia with love.
11: Of course it is, Josh. Of
1: course. Thank you. I'm, I'm recording this and sending it to. Well, I am recording this. I'm sending it to all of them. Goddamn, <laughs> like Larry Wilmore agrees with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, they all go, they they all go Goldfinger, which is I, I Goldfinger's fun, I, but dude.
11: Goldfinger's for love. Russia with love is for the enthusiast. You know this. This is the land yeah. that he, the spirit of the Ian Fleming novels. You know. Um, yeah. But I think Daniel Craig was trying to get back to in a way, but he doesn't have this, he doesn't have the humor that that I, I feel it should have, I mean, yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yep. Yeah.
11: But he has the that grittiness, you know. And of course Bond is some yeah. some of my favorite stuff. But the love from Rushwood Love. I've watched it a thousand times. <laughs>
5: yeah.
1: No,
11: it's it's my favorite. It's my favorite. Istanbul and was down in the in the canals or whatever so shop it was that they shot at. fascinating to be down there and see where they did that whole sequence. Really, really good Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Really that's good stuff, Okay, the last one, um, it's a contemporary movie in a lot of different ways, and it's another it's called documentary, but it really plays like a feature. And I was lucky enough to be on the documentary jury at Sundance a couple of years yeah. ago. We ordered this the grand jury prize. And so the name of the film is Dina, and Dina is a look at these two adults who are on the spectrum. Dina it's It's a story about her, but they're both on the spectrum, and it's, and it's a love story <laughs> it's this modern love story with um, kind of some interesting backstory and it's you can't stop watching it it's just it's the sweetest thing but the most interesting thing it's surprising in so many different things I think it's a um, it so you the, saw
4: this at, you saw this at Sundance yes I, on
11: I, I was, was on the TV and we gave it the the uh Grand jury prize for a Did it
4: did it get much of a release? Because I don't think I'm familiar with it. No, fortunately it did not, you
11: know. But um I know that Hulu picked it up. It kind of flew under the radar. But it's fantastic, guys. Find the oh, interval, and you will be happy that you did. You go, what What is this? Like you're first watching it going, what am I watching exactly? And I love films like that. I love films where the first few minutes you ask yourself, what am I watching? And you're so happy that you started watching it. About a third of the way through, you can't stop watching it. It's just fascinating, you know. And it has this emotional kicker in it about three quarters of the way through. It just punches you right in the stomach. Very surprising. Um,
1: mm, i'm looking here it is on uh it's on amazon prime you can get it right now
11: is on prime. i knew yep. i knew that had it for a while because they were featuring it no it's fantastic. Um, that's fantastic i realized a lot of people hadn't seen it and you know you know so i have two two kind of love stories in here although for us with love arguably it's a james bond love story too you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh it's fantastic i mean that that is a, a fantastically diverse uh list and um and I love that some of it, some of them open doors to much larger, you know, watch, watch from Russia with love and then watch all 47 James Bond movies. And then exactly. watch all the, watch all the up films. And by the time you're done, uh, we'll probably still be here.
11: So. <laughs> exactly. And of course, watch all the Marx brothers films. Uh, yes. We'd be happy that you did. Um, yes,
1: Well, I, the big store, I don't know, maybe not. You know, I liked that as a kid and I
4: realized that I was wrong, you know? <laughs> no, it's, it's it's love happy. That's the one. Oh, uh, love happy. Yes, there's so might, many. I want to skip one
11: of the runners ups that I really wanted to mention. Can I just mention one runner up? By the way, sure of course you can. Yes, yeah. yeah. I want people just to be have a movie that they can watch with the whole family that they feel good about. That it's just good stuff, and it's the Court Jester. It oh. is. Oh, you
1: just you just made my mother so happy.
4: Oh, it's 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 a it's a perfect movie for family. Perfect movie. For yeah. Forever. I saw that picture of the Kitty matinee when I was a kid. And, uh, and you know, Danny Kaye was a big deal when I was a kid in the 50s. It's still, it's still, magic,
11: it's still magic, though, too, you know. Yeah. And if you have, and for the younger generation, this is another one that my kids love. My kids are so amazing. You know, but it's just, mad. Danny Kaye, there's nobody more magical than Danny Kaye his, in his prime. No one, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And, um, and it's enduring, too. And for me, Court Jester. I didn't I wanted this to be diverse and I thought hmm. maybe some people say Court Jester, but I thought I gotta mention Court Jester. Because it yeah, was the first no, absolutely. Uh, family said we all said we have to watch Court Jester, because you know, we know it makes us feel good. And it's just <laughs> a- Yep.
1: It is it is a very, very happy film. Uh fantastic. Uh, well Larry, thank you so much, man. That was that was uh, uh, a great, a great list. Um, uh, I oh, hardly oh,
4: endorse it will, all of them. It will drive some people to their televisions. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yes. Nobody's watching their televisions now. Yes,
11: thanks. Yeah. For that. Uh, what an interesting job that you're doing. I love that you're doing that for me. I'm not an expert on films, but I just love them, you know, so yeah, that you guys are doing this, you
1: know? Well, that's yeah, no, hopefully we're turning people on to stuff they've never seen before at a time when, you know, they're all sitting around looking for something. And, and,
4: uh, and you know, next, Larry, next time we, uh, we suit up to do more trailer commentaries so for Trailers from Hell, we'd love to have you in. It would be great. And,
11: Joe, you know I'm a big fan of yours. I told Josh that was Yes. I'm looking forward to meeting you. <laughs>
5: yes,
4: because I was so embarrassed I had to not be there.
11: <laughs> <laughs> now it gives me an excuse to come back, right? So, no, oh, that's, that's right. We be In the in studio. studio. No, we'd, lo- we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. All right, man. Thank you.
9: Wait, but what'd you say your name was? Billy. Billy Holiday, that's my name.
11: Diana Ross is Billy Holiday. My
9: man don't love me, treats me all so mean.
11: Diana Ross is Billy Holiday in her first motion picture, Lady Sings the Blues.
9: Well, this is one face that won't get that hungry. I don't stand in no line for nobody. Who does she think she is? A lady
2: with a hell of a voice
9: someday you'll come along the man i
2: love you affect my whole life baby i love you if you go down baby i i go down too i'm not going down
6: because there ain't no place down there i want to be
2: lady sings the blues starring diana ross and billy d williams from Paramount Pictures, in color, rated R, under 17, not admitted without
9: parents.
2: And that's it
1: for another Pandemic Parade. I want to thank all of our guests for taking time out of their lives to share uh, their movie recommendations with us. I want to thank all of you for listening. And I especially want to thank our listeners who've been contributing so generously to the Hollywood Food Coalition. If you haven't already, please consider doing it. Just a few bucks helps feed somebody. And at times like this, we all have to look out for each other. As always, I'd like to thank Don Barrett, our engineer, who also transmogrified our theme song. So thanks to Larry, I've got Diana Ross on my mind, in my head, in my ears. So here she is with the Supremes singing us out on a song of hope for a better day. ¶¶